This is BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now from Studio B, your hosts, Dave McCann and Blaine Fowler. BYU Sports Nation, BYU-TV, BYU-Radio, and a whole lot of other places, presented by BYU Store, your home for authentic BYU products. It's Tuesday, two days before Christmas, Dave McCann, Blaine Fowler, sitting in for the boys, and... uh, we're still trying to digest what uh, what we saw last night. This is a big day. A couple hours from now, BYU and UMass play basketball at the Marriott Center, a game you can see and hear on BYU TV and BYU Radio. And then later tonight, the season finale of After Further Review, 8 o'clock Eastern time. we got a lot to break down on that one, Blaine. But good morning. Rarely are we here together at this early hour. Well, sometimes we're here getting ready to do AFR or something like that, but not <laughs> usually here this early. Um, although on Tuesdays I usually do come in for a half hour or so of the show with That's the right. boys. That's right, you are usually here on yeah. Tuesdays. Yeah, and so, so it's not too unusual for me, but I'm usually the third wheel, not not one of the two wheels like Spencer and Jeremy. So you're the big wheel. Big no, you're wheel. the big wheel. I'm, I'm just a little spoke in the <laughs> wheel. I'm just a little spoke. But we're all experienced on big wheels as little kids yes. when we own the neighborhood. Uh, last night, uh, the Miami Beach Bowl is still the buzz of, of the sports nation today. We just saw highlights again on ESPN a moment ago before we came out. BYU loses that bowl game 55-48 to in double overtime. But everyone's talking about what happened after the game with the fight. Uh, your initial thoughts now that uh, I guess the second wave of initial thoughts, because we've been thinking about it ever yeah. since we saw Well, and you and I have had a chance to watch a lot of film. Yeah. We went back and tried to isolate where the fight started, all of those things we've had a chance to do. And, and uh, you know, when it comes down to it, um, it started because Effetti, the defensive end from Memphis, got into it, kind of a little bit of a, a taunting, and, and got in Tijon Caroma's way as he and was coming across the And we're going to show you field. that tonight on AFR. Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll break it down a little bit more on AFR tonight. But, but as we were watching, we were trying to get back to the beginning of the thing. Now, I don't know. Effetti's a very good pass-rushing defensive end, had a good game for Memphis in this. And Tijon Caroma on the offensive line for BYU, for all we know, those guys were going back and forth with that thing all game long. And uh, is it, from what we could see, from our vantage points and the different camera angles that we looked at last night, Dave, right. um, as Coroma was coming across the field, Fetty kind of gets in his face, and, and Christian Stewart was right behind Tijon Coroma. And keep in mind, Coroma had a very bad game. Yeah. I had a 15-yard penalty, had four or five snaps who were lousy. He was named All-American earlier in the week. There was a lot going on. A lot, lot, of, fr- T- lot of frustration T-Ton. going on in yeah. his head, right? Right. And, and so... Um, what Coroma does is he just pushes Effetti out of the way. Like, like get out of my face. Yeah, like, like two-handed shove, get out of my face, which we see happen in sports all the time. And then typically what happens when that happens is teammates all come in and get in between them, and, and that's, about all, that's about all that ever happens, right? Right. So, so in this instance, instead, Effetti turns around and comes back and just absolutely smacks him in the head. Yeah, go, goes almost like with a punch throw into the into the side of the head, um, and then then other Memphis players come in and they get they get Karoma down to the ground and start kicking him, and we even saw a, a player swinging a helmet. Right, and then and and you know what happens, Dave? Like. Your job then is to go in and get your guy out of there, right? Yeah. Which is what should have happened. They should have gone in to go get the guy. Go in, you get but, the guy. But while you're going in and grabbing their guy to get him off of your guy, then one of their guys comes in to get you <laughs> off of their guy, and the thing just completely escalated. But that's how you get a melee. That's exactly. In fact, it was so crazy. We, we were listening to my old teammate, you and I, this morning on ESPN, Trevor Maddich. Right. It was so crazy. He used a word that I had to look up. 
<laughs> he says, you know, once that gets going, then a conflagration breaks. I'm like, yeah, conflagration? We didn't know what that was. I'm like, Dave, what's conflagration? So we looked it up, and the definition, this is in Merriam Webster's dictionary, of course, is, is a large disastrous fire. So it wasn't that. But the no. secondary definition is a conflict or war. So it turned into it a major, major conflict or war out there on the field. And that's what everybody's talking about. And it's not about the game, which we'll get into uh, a, a bit later on. It's about the end of the game. Even the lead on the Sports Center uh, ticker is uh, my, melee brawl after the Miami Beach Bowl. And that will go down in history as uh, when we think of the Miami Beach Bowl, the very first one, we're going to think of the fight. It's a shame that that's what people remember. Yeah. And, and because it was it, – so ugly at the end of it, and and the things that were caught on camera, the Kainakua um, blindside punch, the the swinging of the helmets by the Memphis guys, the, those are the things that were caught on film, yeah. and that's what's going to be remembered. And it's too bad because if that doesn't happen today, everybody's saying, "Wow, inaugural Miami Beach Bowl, one of the most entertaining bowl games in a long, long time. Double overtime, great offensive performances." And and that's what should be uh, being talked about today. But and that's instead, not what we're talking about. Instead, every headline is about the fight. Every headline. Tom Homo, the athletic director at BYU, put out a tweet last night. He said, we expect better of our athletes, even in the face of a difficult loss. We intend to fully review this matter. I apologize to Cougar Nation. Um, so that's from the athletic director. And, and definitely they'll have to look into this and, and see because uh, there was a whole lot more going on than Band of Brothers, let's go save our brother. Yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was that. And then on the side, there was the sideshow, a kind of kua and, and, and just some ugly, ugly things uh, after that game that they'll have to look at. What were your thoughts on BYU's performance in the Miami Beach Bowl? You can send us that uh, via Twitter and, uh, and look for it across the screen here during our program. All right, here's what Bronco said after the game. I thought my team tried very hard, didn't execute cleanly enough, and we fell short just in a few critical moments and opportunities to win the game. There were moments in that game BYU looked flat awful. Looked like they couldn't tackle, they couldn't block, they couldn't do anything. Then there were moments of that game where they looked like they were in complete control. Yeah, and it was a streaky game for BYU. Offensively, they looked really good at times, and then in the third quarter, they just couldn't do anything offensively. And uh, and defensively, there were times that they made some big stops, but but the problems continue to be on the defensive side of the ball. Let's face it, when when you score that many points, right. you've got you've got to win the football game. Right, Dave? You've yeah. got to win the football game. You can't put – hey, if you score more than 30, you've got to win the bowl, the, the bowl game, let alone 40 and close to 50. Right. Right? No excuse. And, and so – and BYU has 425 yards of total offense. I, I think that this BYU offense really found itself down the stretch in this win streak. And, and, and I credit Robert and I for doing a really good job of understanding what Christian Stewart's skill set was and then – tailoring this offense to fit his skill set. And frankly, I really like what this offense is doing right now. And we were talking about it last night after the game. I said, hey, do you think now when Taysom gets healthy that they can take some of the things that they've learned in this last five-game, six-game run, um, throwing the football, and, and stick with some of that and then just add a little bit of spread option with Taysom Hill? If, if Taysom Hill can be as, as effective in the throw game as Christian Stewart has been down the stretch in, this, in the win streak leading up to the bowl game, and then add his unbelievable ability to run the football to that, yeah. BYU's offense next year can be flat-out scary. It can be elite. It can be back in the top five in the country. And so 
you know, I, I think Robert and I learned a lot of things. I think this receiving core learned a lot of things. I think this offensive line is young and they learned a lot of things. Put Taysom back in that piece. Work like crazy on his throw game to have it take another step forward. Right. And this BYU offense looks good. I think Robert uh, learned a lot this season on how to pl- call plays, call games. Remember, he came in. He didn't come in as a play caller. It was I'm gonna now I'm the offensive coordinator. Now I'm in charge of calling the plays. He shared that duty when he was here last. He was an offensive line coach at Arizona. So we got new quarterbacks. We got a new coordinator. And it, you just don't automatically show up and know how to call a game. And there's been some growing pains there, and and and, and that area can still get better, and, and um, we'll see how that goes next season and beyond. But but uh, come on, you can't run the ball on second down every single time. <laughs> we were yeah. sitting there, that we were sitting there calling the plays. Like, oh no! Before they're having they, going, here comes they, a run. They, it's they like, were behind in critical times, especially in that third quarter. They were behind the chains too many times. Yeah. When I say behind the chains, you want on a first down, you want production. You want four, five, six yards on first down. Too many times they found themselves in second and ten, um, second and eleven, and, and then they and would then run the ball on second it. and ten, second and eleven, and, and now they would have like the third and nine. New. Third and nine, <laughs> and and Memphis is a good enough team defensively yeah. that when you're behind the chains on third down, when it's third and nine, ten, eleven, they're really good. Got good. They've got a really good front seven. They know how to pressure the quarterback. They're pretty solid in the back end. What and, do we have? Seventeen yards of offense in the third. In quarter. that third quarter, that's because they were third and ten, third and nine. Right. Too many, too many times it. behind the chains, and and but but I do like in general where this offense has gone, and I do think it's a great launching point. Uh, for spring ball and into 2015. And they're going to have to be really good because the yeah. schedule they play next year is a crazy schedule. Um, and and so, I mean, they gave up 306 yards passing. They gave up 174 yards rushing to this Memphis team. 480 yards of total offense. Seven touchdowns to is, the quarterback. Is just too much. And this that's what they gave up. And remember, Memphis turned the ball over five times. Yeah. You know, now, mind you, BYU was generous. <laughs> and they gave four turnovers. They gave turnover four turnovers back. So so Memphis was minus one in turnover margin and still put fifty plus on the board. And so so defensively is where I am still concerned. Yeah. And uh I, I didn't see anything in that game um that made me go, Hey, we gotta figure it's, it's it out. solved. Everything's solved and going into 2015, we're gonna be in good shape. There's there's a lot of work to be done in spring ball uh, to get the defense up to a level uh, where the offense is to be able to be really good next year. We'll tackle a lot of that tonight on AFR, uh, but they've got to find a middle linebacker because this defense is set up for the middle linebacker to be the leading tackler. And for the first time in four seasons, that wasn't the case this year. And going into that bowl game, Sky Pove was the leading tackler with 67 tackles on the year. Last year, Wani Unga had 143 tackles at middle linebacker. That's almost six games worth of tackles more than what uh, the leading tackler for this whole football team had going into the bowl game. If you're going to have three down linemen and have a defense that's set up for the linebackers to make the tackles, where do you go? to find a middle linebacker that can fix a whole lot of problems. They've got to settle on one, first of all. And so the, the thing that made Juan Yunga really, really good and really productive there was he was in, he was an every-down guy. Yep. They weren't rotating guys and in Ogletree for him. Ogletree beforehand. An Ogletree, every-down guy. They had established themselves 
as team leaders on that defense. It wasn't a rotating basis type of a thing. And so they were unbelievably productive. And the team looked to them to make plays. They'd get into the flow of the game. So it wasn't just production in terms of tackles. It was leadership out there. Yeah. And and because nobody just grabbed that job by the throat this year, you had multiple guys rotating through there. Production was down. The team's really not sure who to look to. You got a brand-new defensive coordinator. He's been there a while, but it's the first year that he's right. been given the keys to the car. He's not sure how to drive that thing. The guys on the field aren't sure how to drive that thing. You have a ship without a rudder, more or less. And uh, Craig Bills should have been yeah. your rudder right. because he's your most experienced guy. He was going to be big-time productive. He's back at free safety. So when he goes down with a head injury and misses you know, the end of the season – then it really became rudderless, yeah. and, uh, and and that's that's a big issue. So then you're all over the lake. Yeah, you know, all you, over there the are place. some days where you're you're right where you want to yep. be, and then a minute and some, later some you're capsized. Sometimes you're good for a quarter. Yeah, and then then things go away for a quarter, and so so I think leadership is a big deal. Consistency. And is Harvey Longy the future middle linebacker? I don't see. And here's the thing: I think that Harvey has an, an unbelievable skill set, but this is a kid that came back from a mission. Right. It, it was either the end of July or the first weekend. I mean. Literally, he was back a couple weeks In theory, before. Fall he game. shouldn't have even. Suited and and he played running back before his mission, <laughs> and so he comes back, and that's a guy that you're playing regular downs at middle linebacker at the most important position in this defense now, right. and and so that's that's a problem. Not because he doesn't have the physical skills to do it, because he certainly does, and I believe he's going to be a great player. But that level of experience, learning technique, learning to read, learning all those things. That's why you don't have that kind of production you want there. And and then maybe the mistake was made in thinking that Picula, Ludodoyer, Stout were ready to step up and be the next and, and take Unga that lead- and Ogletree. Take the and, leadership and clearly they were not. So and, and maybe another year now with them as the man, you know, can make a difference. Um but in the old defense that Bronco used to run, that three three five defense that Bronco used to run, yeah. safety always was the guy. Because that defense was designed, the three-three-five. You go back to Adam Rich to, to, to funnel everything to the free safety. Andrew Rich, yeah, Andrew Rich, right. um, and and uh, it is a defense design. That's like Brian Urlacher was playing that safety sure. for Bronco at New Mexico when he was having 140 and 150 tackle years. And 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 you go back and in the early years of Bronco as a D coordinator in the three-three-five defense designed to funnel the football to the free safety. He was the alley runner. He made all the tackles. When they went to a 3-4, it became a middle linebacker-centered defense where those middle backers make all the tackles in the run game. And, and then there's a two-fold problem. BYU, with all their injuries and all their struggles in the back end in the secondary this year, um, that forced teams to come into game, not force them. Teams chose to come into games and say, okay, BYU's pretty good against the run, but we can throw it all over the place on these yeah. guys. And so I think that BYU saw a higher percentage of the throw game, and so that takes away tackles from your middle backers because people are going, we don't even need to test the run game. We just come out and just throw it. We can just throw it on these guys. There was a lot to be said uh, when Bronco came out after one of the losses and said, hey, look, our system's perfect. We're not executing it. Um, and, and I think a lot of people step back and go, what? How yeah, can what? you say that? <laughs> what, in, in reality, maybe the system is. Because uh, at, at, we've seen it in moments where it's, it's been unstoppable. And in years past, we've had dominant defenses. No question about it. Even in games we lost, we lost giving up 23, 17, 20 points. Um, but, uh, but if that's the case, then it's now on the, on the coach and his staff to go get the guys or at least get them ready to execute in this so-called perfect system. And, and maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe the 3-4 defense can't be stopped when the right guys are in the right place doing the right thing. 
and so, so maybe that is the case, but then it becomes, okay, well, then what are you going to do to get the right guys in there to execute this perfect system? And I think that they've got guys in the program that can do what they want them to do. And the thing that became frustrating to all of us watching, and I guarantee you frustrating to for the Bronco, staff yeah. and for Bronco, is that we saw the same mistakes made week after week. You can, when you got youth out there and they make a mistake and they're in the film room and they're studying and then the next week they don't make that mistake, you go, you know what? That's growing pains. Right. But, but when it happens three and four weeks in a row, you're going, wow, either, either I've got to get somebody else in there that will do what they're supposed to do. Maybe not quite as skilled athletically, but will do what they're supposed to do and be where they're supposed to be. Or I've got to implement a different teaching method because evidently – what we're trying to teach these guys is not getting through because they're doing the same thing wrong. Um, and so, so you got to really look at, at yourself as a coach and go, either i got to teach it differently or I've got to get somebody else in there. And so those are, those are decisions that are a lot more easily made in spring ball. You know, when, when, you're, when you're going into a fall and you have a lineup of who you think are, are going to be out there, and you got Jordan Johnson playing field quarter, who's yeah. a lockdown corner, and you got Craig Bills playing the free safety, and, and he's going to be solid. And you got Kai Nakua, or not Kai Nakua, you've got uh, um, a Sky Pove, who's got experience that can play strong or play right. corner. Um, you got Rob Daniel, who now you can play at the boundary corner and just let him focus in that area. And you've got an idea of what you're going to do there and who's going to be your nickel, and, and then the, the rash of injuries changes it all. That's a tough thing, a tough thing for a new coordinator to now figure out, oh, man, this is what we thought we had. And I didn't think I was going to be teaching these guys brand new things, but now i got to teach guys that I didn't even have a plan to play how to play. That's a tough thing. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's where you earn your money. Yep. Spring ball spring ball's a lot better teaching opportunity because you're not in line of fire in spring ball. All right, we've got a lot going on here in this hour. More of your Twitter responses are coming up. We'll also uh, preview the UMass-BYU basketball game, which is at 2 o'clock Eastern time, high noon, mountain time here on BYU TV. This is like the pregame show. Yes, it is. Is what this is. And uh, we'll hear much more from the Cougars. Also, Spencer and Jerem coming up from Miami Beach as BYU Sports Nation continues here two days before Christmas. We'll see you in a minute. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, your home for authentic BYU products. I was in there the other day. they all got all kinds of things. In fact, anything you can imagine has got BYU stamped on it. Oh, yeah. And you're like, you hey, that's a cool idea. I should get that. Yes, absolutely. If you want BYU stuff, that is the place to go. No <laughs> doubt about it. they got some clever things in there at the BYU Store. We appreciate their support. Dave McCann, Blaine Fowler. All right, Blaine, what do you tell the BYU fan that just can't take it anymore, that wants the coach <laughs> fired, they want uh, in the Big 12, they only want to play hey, I Alabama. Hey, I want in the Big 12. Every, I want in you know, the Big 12. They want to play Alabama every weekend. Uh, they want All-Americans. They don't want to lose any recruits to Utah. Uh, and, and they watch that game, their holiday's ruined, because they just can't, they just can't stand it. What do you tell them? Wow, that's... That's pretty serious. There are, there are people. They're that pouring are that. their heart out on the internet. So that's not one person you just. That's not one person you just described, right? That's, that's like, like. I think that's a group. That, that's a group of people because if <laughs> one person has all of that, we need to talk. That person needs a hug, bad, right? <laughs> I think a lot of <laughs> they, folks need hugs. Need some hugs, but it, I mean, here's here's the thing. Over time, you and I have done a lot of games yeah. over the years, and 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 maybe we learn to step back a little bit when we do so many games and not be so closely tied to it because these are. These are 18 to 23-year-old kids going out there, and they don't always do exactly what they're taught to do out right. there. And, and so sometimes you have a year where you have a rash of injuries and you just, you just don't perform. And it's really tough 
when there's such high expectations. Because with Taysom coming back and with the schedule not like it was the year before. I mean, last year's schedule was crazy tough, right? Next year's schedule is crazy tough. This was the year BYU was going to win 10 or 11 games, right? And so it's just such a disappointment. But we got to step back and recognize that there were a lot of struggles along the way. And I think that injuries had a huge role. And then trying to adjust to those injuries – really, really was tough for BYU this year. So the nice part about football is is that the players that's going to have a terrible, terrible taste in their mouth over the holidays, and they're going to come back, and as soon as school starts, they're going to be back in the weight room, yeah. and they're going to be over in the indoor practice facility throwing footballs around and covering and doing all Thinking that. Thinking about Nebraska. Yeah, they're, they're going to turn the page a lot faster than the fans yeah, are going to turn I the page. you're right. And they'll start preparing and getting ready for spring <laughs> ball, and it's going to be a whole new crop. And so what I'm going to say to the people that feel all that is, just look to the September schedule. When you get a chance to now see him play Nebraska, UCLA, Boise State, and Michigan in the month of September, that's that's like Christmas in September, right? Now, well, nice if they too, lose all four of those games, it's, gonna, it's <laughs> not going to be good. No. And, and again, we'll talk about it on AFR, but you got a new quarterback at UCLA, it looks like. Looks like yep. Hundley's going to go out. You got a new coach at Nebraska. A new coach, if anyone ever takes the Michigan job. Yeah, could be Jim Harbaugh and Boise, or $8 million a year. Boise right? State at home, and you have a chip on your shoulder a little bit. If your quarterback's healthy, uh, those are all winnable games. Yeah, and so you, you come out of the month of September 4-0, and you're, top, you're a top 10 team like that, and now you're right back where you yeah. wanted to be. And so some years you just don't stay healthy. I, I saw a tweet after the game, uh, shortly after it all, and, I, and it was a picture of Taysom jumping over somebody, and the, the slug line was, it's going to be okay. He's coming back. Yeah. Well, and I thought, you yeah, you know, you're right. And think about this. If Taysom <laughs> doesn't get hurt and he continues to have the season he was having, there's no guarantee that Taysom comes back for that crazy schedule next yeah. year. And remember, Christian Stewart's a senior. Yeah. So who start? Who would have started at quarterback in that opener if Taysom isn't hurt? Somebody, and, somebody brand new. Yeah, that 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 could have been a tough tough thing. So now Taysom's back. That's a silver lining to an otherwise very very dark cloud. Um, but some years, and then Jamal Williams is it, back. What, what it ta- that's right. And Jamal, we, we underestimate the impact yeah. of the enthusiasm and the explosiveness that he brings. Because you office. know what, Adam Hine and Algie Brown and Paula C.K. Bless their heart, have no breakaway speed out of the backfield. Yeah. He's, they just he's a, don't. He's a big playmaker, and um, but but those guys don't fix the defensive problems. That's but I, true. But I think the defensive problems are fixed in spring ball, and the, I believe the offense is going to be better next year because the offensive line is back. They have a lot of depth coming back on the old line. They got a bit nasty toward the end of the year. I like that. They have an edge to them that they haven't had in a few years. They're going to take a step forward, which they need to. And the, and Karoma, you know, he's the leader. And he's a freshman, and he's the feisty guy. So people forget. We've been saying, what have we been saying for the last couple of years, Dave? We've been saying BYU's not nasty enough on the offensive line. They need a set tail eye who just punches people for no reason. I remember <laughs> one time, Kellen, my oldest, who was playing at BYU, right. I, I called him and I said, hey, Kellen, how'd practice go today? Yeah, it was good. At the end of practice, Ray Fenga punched me in the face. <laughs> like with his helmet on, of course. I'm like, Ray Fenga punched you in the face? Why did Ray punch you in the face? I don't know. Ray just punches people in the face. You have to have a couple yeah. of guys like you that, do. right? You really do. And, and we haven't had them here on this offensive line at BYU for a few years. And so they've got to harness a little bit of Tijon's craziness and his aggressiveness. But there's part of that that I like, that, that brings the level of this offensive line up. And so 
So this team's going to be better offensively, yeah. and they can't get worse defensively. And they've got to stay healthy, and we'll see a different season next year. As many of you know who uh, follow this program, Spencer and Jerem have been on vacation in Miami Beach. I saw the pictures. For, for the better part of the week. I saw the pictures. After the game last night, they sent us this little Christmas greeting. Let's, let's listen in. BYU Sports Nation on location at Marlins Park in Miami, Florida after the Miami Beach Bowl. A wild shootout. That's probably a huge understatement, Jerem. Yeah, what a game. The Cougars lose 52-45 in double overtime. And uh, one more play. Uh, The Cougars couldn't stop Memphis from scoring to uh, send it into overtime. And then uh, the unfortunate interception from Christian Stewart to end it for BYU. Entertaining game. Really fun game. Unfortunately, BYU comes out out on the losing end of this. But BYU gave a heck of an effort to come back down 10 in the fourth quarter, scored 17 unanswered to take a seven-point lead. Zach Stout does his best KVN 2012 San Diego State impersonation with the pick six. Tons of energy. BYU really thought they were going to win that. We were on the sideline where Memphis was attacking to try and convert on fourth down. They get a touchdown. They go to OT, 54-yarder, BYU up three. We thought it was over. You and I thought it was over. 54-yarder. The dude had clanked a 53-yarder on on the other end, makes the 54-yarder with the wind, and goes to overtime, and then the defense can't hold up. It's just, it's just a bummer because BYU had fought so hard to be in a position to win the game. We're in a position to win the game multiple times and end up on the losing end. That now makes three games where you look back with this BYU 2.0 post-tasting where you go, probably should have won. UCF, Nevada, and this one tonight. BYU now 0 for 7 in the state of Florida, an overtime game against Central Florida, and then a double overtime loss in the Miami Beach Bowl to Memphis. An unfortunate turn of events at the very end of the game, Memphis celebrating. Uh, Some things were said. BYU players got involved in scuffles, and there were so many different things going on. It was hard to pay attention to everything uh, that was happening on the field. Helmets were getting thrown around. Robert and I at one point uh, was on the ground getting up. And so it's unfortunate because it was such an entertaining game. But now a lot of people are going to be focusing on what happened after the final whistle. It was workaholics. It got weird really fast. I went into the middle of it and uh, saw Robert and I getting up from the ground. He had been knocked over. It's like he had been tackled or something. It was weird. Uh, Jake Zilkowski, a backup receiver, just got covered by like four dudes. It was, it was weird. And that's unfortunate. Memphis celebrated this like it was a huge deal because it was. They only won three games last year. All of a sudden there's a fight. They came over right near us, near all the Memphis fans, and celebrated like they had won whatever it is, that they, you know, something big. And it was significant. They got to 10 wins. It was a big deal. BYU was bummed. I don't know who started. I don't really care. But that's, a, that's unfortunate that it came to that at the end. Now, we announced our Y-Factor champion last night. Congratulations, you, you, by the way. you brought the, the hardware with you. What's what's unfortunate is that it would feel fifteen bucks at Hobby Lobby. Wow, that was you paid fifteen bucks for this and five bucks for the spray. Twenty dollars. Yeah, I'm not giving this back ever, man. This no, is that's an, yours. You keep it forever. Did you? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Okay, well, it, until next year. I wish I could life. celebrate it more be, with a BYU win, but uh, really, this probably uh, belongs to Jordan Leslie and Mitch Matthews and Christian Stewart and Michael Elise, all the guys that uh, helped us analysts earn Y Factor wins this year, but. Uh, Something fun on a rather kind of weird night in, in Florida. You were in a contract year, and you played crazy hard, and you won the Y Factor. Brian, good for him, won one last night. That was awesome. Uh, but it was a fun season. And, that, and it's weird because this is a great and terrible day, right? Talked about in the scriptures. The end of a BYU football season is the worst, man. It's fun because it's like 
BYU played in a bowl game. This experience was fantastic for everybody, minus the result, I think, for BYU fans and the team, obviously. But it was fun being in Miami, and now the offseason hits, which is the worst time of the year. Luckily, there's hoops. Luckily, there's men's volleyball around the corner and baseball and whatnot. But, yeah, it's a it's a great and terrible day. Yeah, hoops against UMass, a big game for BYU basketball. Dave and Blaine will call that one. Uh, but for now, some some lamentations and some, some sadness for sure inside the BYU locker room. I do want to add this. Mitch Matthews and Remington Peck talked to us uh, after the game, which is tough to do. I mean, who wants to do that guys interview? always do interviews. But they came out, out and uh, so we should give them some serious credit for coming out to do those. But both of them made it a point to talk about how what happened after the game is not what BYU is about. Uh, they were adamant that uh, we know better than that. We're not. We shouldn't be like that. And so uh, the coaches had a message for the players in the locker room about that. And then they both said Bronco Mendenhall told them that if they had played their best football, it wouldn't come down to a double overtime situation. True. And so that that was the emphasis there from the coach. And now you look at three straight years of eight wins. What do you do? Does BYU, BYU has some changes to make in the offseason already with strength and conditioning, with operations, uh, with the football managers. So there's three staffers. Who, uh, you know, what, what happens with this coaching staff? What happens with certain transfers, which we've seen uh, where they've gone a little bit? When does Taysom Hill get healthy? As of now, unless BYU signs another quarterback, McCoy Hill is getting all, all the one reps in spring. So that's a huge question mark. When will Jamal get healthy? Uh, what's the emphasis in recruiting? You now turn the page. I know it's the day after, but you turn the page and you look at what can BYU do next year. Eight wins with this schedule was hard to get, right? All the injuries. What's next year's schedule going to yield? That's going to be tough. It's a tough schedule. But the challenge is fun. BYU went independent four schedules like next year, so they're going to have to bring it. Uh, this just sent Jordan Leslie and Christian Stewart granted another year of of eligibility. I wish, no. man. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. You lure, the, the seniors that played their final game, about 24 of those guys, that's it. Craig Bills didn't play, but he's done. Alani Fua, uh, countless guys. Harvey Jackson, Jordan Leslie, Christian Stewart, like you mentioned. Notable guys that have been in the program, contributed greatly. We should acknowledge, by the way, what Christian Stewart did. I mean, he puts up 48 in overtime, double OT, and BYU loses. He put up 35, lost to Nevada. 24 he thought was enough against UCF. There were some issues on both sides of the ball, but defensively, BYU's got to get better. Offensively, you're going to have to replace some guys. BYU loses to Memphis 55-48 in double overtime in the inaugural Miami Beach Bowl. BYU Sports Nation signing off for now from the east side of the United States. For Jerem, I am Spencer. We will see you on the flip side. All right, guys, thank you, and have a safe travel home. home They're they're on their way back today, I think, and uh, I'll tell you what. Miami's a good place for a bowl game. The, the, nice. the pictures that we were seeing during the week, the activities that the players were involved in, I mean, all that is great at, all, at every bowl game, but but that white sand and those 80-degree <laughs> temperatures, there's something to be said. That's the most reliable weather in the continental United States this time of year is South Florida. Yeah. I mean, I played in a bowl game in Orlando. It was cold. We mm-hmm. played in bowl games in Las Vegas, cold. cold. San Diego, it can be cold and foggy. Yeah. You got, it's a pretty good bet if you're in Miami. It's going to be good. Plus, they could close the roof yeah, if it got I, really I, I'm hot. I'm telling you what, that's, it's a good place for a bowl. And uh, The bad that, part is there's 20,000 fans. Right. And uh, the great part about the Las Vegas Bowl, for example, is uh, there's 20,000 BYU fans right, at that game because right. folks can get there. Long, it's a long trip for people. And people in the southeast, I think, went. But it's the first year, first yeah. year of bowl game. Remember, BYU helped build the Holiday Bowl to what it was. BYU helped build the Las Vegas Bowl to sure. what it is. And, Absolutely. And uh, you know, I don't know. They're not 
this is not the bowl that they're tied to next year, at least as right. far as we know. But hey, they had a hand in uh, a first year yeah, of a they, they of made a brand some new memories. Bowl. Yes, they did. Everybody, hey, remember that Miami Beach Bowl? Was that the one with the fight? Yeah, that's yeah. That, that's what everybody's going to be saying. Oh yeah, those guys got it together. All right, we've got a lot coming up. We're going to shift to basketball because there's a big game in about an hour and a half over at the Mary Center across the street from our BYU TV World Headquarters. BYU and UMass, a live look inside the Marriott Center. Guys getting in some early shooting. This should be an interesting game, maybe a shootout. Uh, we'll preview it as we roll on here this morning on BYU Sports Nation. And now, back to more BYU Sports Nation. Live pictures from inside the Marriott Center just across the way from us in the BYU TV Broadcasting World Headquarters. Dave McCann, Blaine Fowler sitting in for Spencer and Jerem on BYU Sports Nation. We'll have the game uh, at 2 o'clock Eastern time, Noon Mountain, live on BYU TV. It's a strange uh, weekday matinee for the Marriott Center. I don't even know if there has ever been one that hasn't been on a Saturday. Uh, but so that UMass can get home for the holidays, they agreed to play early, and and so here we are. Yeah, and I think you know this is a week for a lot of folks where mm, even if they are working, they could break away for a long lunch. Only half right? working. Just yeah. break away for a long <laughs> lunch and get over to the Marriott Center and let's watch this thing. Or the beauty of BYU TV is you can just hey on your work computer. Yep, stream it live. Stream it live. Just stream and we'll it be live. Right there and, for you. and you know what? I I've, I've been on the road doing games for other folks when when BYU's playing and. Uh, I've actually been calling a basketball game with my iPad in front of me watching BYU at the same time. Yes, you have. Should I admit it's that? A, it's a talent. Should I admit that I've done that? Just, just between you and me, I think we can I've talk about it. I've absolutely done it. Uh, this is the, uh, the, the basketball game will be the middle of our trifecta today on BYU TV. Uh, later tonight, after further review, make sure you join us 8 and 11 o'clock Eastern time. Brian and David will join us. We'll break down the bowl. We'll break down the fight. A variety of angles. We'll slow-mo it. Uh, we'll, we'll cover it from the first punch to the and, last and all its glorious ugliness, and, right? And then, uh, more importantly, toward the end, we will... Um, We'll set the stage for what needs to happen here in the offseason for that monster schedule awaiting in September. After further review, it literally is the best hour of BYU football on television. Our season finale tonight right here on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Plan to be with us. All right, UMass in at 6-5, BYU at 9-3. Minutemen 0-3 on the road. Cougars tough at home. What's going to happen this afternoon? This this is a UMass team. that's coming off of a really good season. This this in the A ten. The A ten is a really good league. I got real familiar the last couple of years because I've been covering that right. league, um, and and got familiar with UMass. But they don't have they don't have Chaz Williams back. Yeah, thirty two points, thirty two against BYU sixteen last assists year. and one turnover last year. Yeah, he's he was an incredible dynamic player yeah. that that not very many people in the country could stay in front of uh, so quick off the dribble. Um, so, so this UMass team's in, in a bit of a rebuild year, but this is a very good program. In the last three seasons, they've won 25, 21, and 24 uh, under uh, Coach Derek Kellogg. So it's a team that has confidence. They've played a monster schedule. Yeah. So they come in here at 6-5, and five and, and you think, well, oh, 6-5, and five, so they're not as good as they were last year. But, but how about this? They've played Boston College, Manhattan, Notre Dame, Florida State, Northeastern Harvard. Don't underestimate how good Harvard is. Best right. team in the, in, the, in the Ivy League at LA. LSU and Florida Gulf Coast, who's a physical, uh, long athletic basketball team. They just got beat at Providence on Saturday. Yeah, and so this is this is a team who, to this point in the season, if you look at the different RPIs in terms of RPI for schedule, 
their their schedules ranked anywhere from five to ten in the country. Yeah. So so don't feel like a six and five team coming in here is going to be a dominating thing for BYU. Now I do think that BYU is more experienced. They shoot the basketball better and should get a victory at home against this yeah. UMass team. But up and down the floor is what I expect. UMass over the last three years, they've made their name by pressuring, full court pressure all over the place. That they, doesn't work too good for the yeah, Cougs. Think about it. In BYU's three losses, they've struggled with the pressure at the end of basketball games. Right. Uh, Utah, San Diego State, Purdue, they struggled against pressure. Um, you know what? In the Stanford win. They struggled against pressure. They were able to hold on to a game that they should have won going away because they struggled with pressure. So you're going to see a more steady diet of pressure all game long from this UMass team. Um, And then they like to get up and down the floor. They like to convert turnovers into points. And they will attack you. This is what they do. They come at you. They have the second most free throw attempts of any team in the country, and they have the most free throw makes of right. any team in the country because they get to the rim, they either get fouled, or they try to make uh, you know short-range shots. Where this team isn't as good as they were last year, they're not making jump shots, they're not making threes. And so, so it's not a great shooting team. I, I expect BYU to play a lot of zone in this one to try to keep the guys in front of them and force UMass to shoot it from outside on the road. Let's look at, at the Cougars, uh, and, and what's Dave Rose going to do? He's got uh, his guard line, uh, Tyler averaging 23.8, number one in the country, uh, Fisher at 14.1, and Collinsworth at 12.6. That's great for your three guns. And then Anson Winder has been phenomenal off the bench. But you look down low in the post, and, and you have Isaac Nelson averaging 5.8, Luke Worthington 3.4, getting Nate Austin once he gets back. His numbers are even lower than that. They get some rebounds. They put up some fight. But that is not an inside game that wins NCAA tournament games. How do you fix that? And and if you can't fix it, is it just become, you know what, we're going to win the games, we're hot shooting, like Gonzaga this weekend, we're going to have to shoot a phenomenal shoot percentage lights out against Gonzaga. Because uh, in a half-court offense, it, it is what it is. And the Zags have all kinds of size that they can just roll into the game. So, so you're Coach Rose. Yeah, how are and you going to fix that? So, so you look at you, you look at their December lineup. What they've already gone against the teams that they've lost to, they, they've they've struggled to defend inside and to keep guys out of foul trouble. You got UMass today, who's got some size inside. They they start six ten and six eight on that front line with some speedy guys around them. Gonzaga is going to be the most talented team BYU play all year. This is a Final Four talent type team yep. with size that they can they put size out there to start and they bring size off the bench. Hey, you want another seven footer? Here you go. Hey, you want another athletic six ten guy? Here, Here you, you go. go. And and they surround that with guys that can shoot from the outside. When so, we go to the bench, we bring in a guy who just got back from his mission. Right. Who didn't, didn't play, play basketball, basketball for the last three years. <laughs> senior year at high school we say hey Corbin Kafusi. Go in there and mix it the up. The thing that's more concerning for me than the point production in the post, and that concerns me, yeah. is is you mentioned so Isaac Nielsen is averaging 3.3 rebounds a game. Because he likes to be out there shooting. At 6'11". Luke Worthington at 6'10". Is averaging two point five rebounds a game now. Right. Their minutes, if their minutes came up, because Luke's only playing eight point one minutes a game, and, and Isaac's playing twelve point seven. It's tough when your point guard is the leading rebounder. Yeah, and so and Collinsworth's one of the best rebounding guards in the country, but he can't be do it all by himself and rebounding basketball, especially against teams that have a lot of size. Now they get, they get away with it today, I think, without too yeah. much trouble. But but against Gonzaga. Man, they're going to have to get production. Kafusi's going to have to come along. Nate Austin's going to have to get healthy and come back. Because remember, Nate Austin, I'm okay if Nate Austin only scores six or eight points a game. If he's getting eight or nine or ten rebounds a game, that's fine. He's perfectly fine. But he's got to get that hamstring healthy, and they're going to have to have him 
um, and they're going to have to have Kafusi progress to the point by the end of the season that those two guys can give him a physical presence in the post come NCAA tournament time. Now, we've talked to Corbin, and uh, he's a fun guy, 6'10". Uh, Unbelievably like athletic. A kid, eyes of a little kid, you know, yeah. as you're talking to him. Uh, and, and he's going to become a, a pretty good big man. And, and when he's reaching the zenith of his game, Eric Mika will be back for his oh, mission. Yeah. Uh, and then some of those other guys will be back, too, that like to go inside. But, uh, but until then, there's going to be the growing pains of, ah, hey, when did that seem like a good idea? <laughs> or, or uh, hey, you can't do that when you have four fouls. Um, and, and you look at uh, Dave Rose and, and, uh, and Mark Pope, who's teaching the big guys, and, and you can see them going, okay, all right, we're bringing baby steps, baby steps. But when we need a basket, the crowd's sitting there going, hey, we don't need baby steps. We need an All-American spin move, hammer dunk, and a free throw made. And that's just not quite there. Yeah, and and what's going to have to happen this year is when they need a big basket, it's going to be Tyler Hawes with the ball in his hands. They'll be right. running him off a screen and catch and shoot. They'll put it. The one thing that Collinsworth can do is he can create yeah. for other people. So so he's going to have to be a distributor where he gets it into the lane and makes the defense collapse and kicks it out to Chase Fisher for a jump shot. That's how they have to manufacture points at the end of games right now. Um, they got to do a better job of handling the ball, not turning it over. Um, but the, but the expectation just can't be that they're going to come down and throw it into the post. How nice was it last year when you did have a guy on, really the, on nice. the outside where you could throw it in Mika for for an eighteen year old freshman was unbelievably skilled offensively where yeah. you could throw it in the post and the team knew that if they didn't come over and double him that he could get and score. And I believe that Kafusi is athletic. He's like an NBA athleticism at his height. He yeah. really is. He's just extremely raw. And so as Mark Pope has a chance to work with him and develop those skills, he's going to get better every week this season. And and by the time the season's done, we're going to go, wow, he's come a long way. He'll be, in my opinion, at the end of the year, we'll go most improved player for Corbin Kafusi. But then give him a full off season, and, and then you put him with Mika, 6'11 and 6'10 on that front line. Well, you with the guys. Gonna, now we're talking... What we're saying about Gonzaga right now. Now yeah. we're talking. Hey, BYU has Final Four talent because they're good inside and right. out. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a while. Eights will be there for a while. The, the low post guy who's missing out. And with he his can ankle. score. He can score. Kyle Davis is a post guy. He'll be in there after sitting out his uh, uh, red shirt year. And, uh, and then you get uh, Nick Emery back from his mission uh, with four years to play. Uh, and then the then the guys Dastrup and and those others come back. I mean. It's it's uh, yeah, and Dastrup it's is a, a, Dastrup's a guy that can stretch it. You know, a tall six ten guy, six nine ten guy that can go out and shoot threes, right. but also can go inside and score. So, I'm telling you, offense is not going to be a problem two years from now. There are there are better days ahead, and these are pretty good days. Yeah, but there, there are yeah, better. Don't get days me wrong. This, this team has potential, but the guards are going to have to carry them. And there's going to be nights where where you're going to just go, gosh, they just didn't shoot it well. And they'll have a hard time winning games when they're not shooting it well because they're not a lockdown defensive team. But the best thing that can happen to BYU right now, get Austin healthy as fast as they can get Austin healthy, Nate Austin, because he gives them a rebounding presence and a defensive presence inside. When we come back, we'll talk about Tyler Haas and the phenomenal story that he is and how he is closing in on Jimmer Fredette's record, which is an unbelievable thought. This all leading up to BYU-UMass, 2 o'clock Eastern time on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio right here. And we'll be back in a moment. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, your home for authentic 
BYU products. You can get over there and get some Christmas presents for your loved ones. And there's a good chance there will be a BYU logo stamped on it. Tyler Haas is at the Marriott Center right as we speak, getting his pregame workout in. He'll go out there and shoot a million shots. And then when the game's on, there's a reason why he can make all the shots that he does because he puts in the practice every day except for Sunday all the time. Nobody's out earlier than he is. And, boy, they just feed him and feed him and feed him. And he just knocks down shot after shot after shot. Do you know who we used to see do that? Jimmer Fredette. Yeah. And we used to watch Jimmer, and it would be fun for us as we're sitting getting ready to do a game to count how many they would make in a row. I remember counting one time Jimmer made 19 threes in a row while I was watching him. I've seen Tyler make 10, 12, 13, 14 in a row. I'm sure he's made 19, just not when I was sure. watching. And then that's why he's such a good free throw shooter. Yep. Best in school history because he spends all day, it seems, shooting free throws. Yeah. You, you, don't, you don't play at the level that Tyler Haas plays at without a phenomenal – amount of work uh, the yeah. amount of work that he's put in people have no concept of of the amount of work that this young man's put in and how much work he put in last week to come back from that ankle right is amazing we're to gonna me. talk about him a whole lot the and, and in almost any profession the harder you work the easier you make it look yeah and uh, and people go wow people, he, nice to be able to do he, that. Just, he just had a quiet 24 again yeah. a quiet 24 he just goes out there and puts it up and they just go in wouldn't that be fun yeah all right. Well, there's a lot going on in the BYU Sports Nation. Uh, and um, let's take a close look now with, uh, with the game that uh, Spencer and Jeremy like to play called Big Deal or No Deal. Big Deal. No Deal. <laughs> it's like, no deal. So how it works, throw out a headline and then you and I decide if it's a big, if it's deal? A big deal or not. Or it's not and, a big deal. and then our listeners and viewers at home can yell at their TVs and radios. Yeah, big Deal or No Deal. Uh, Are these what big glasses or not big glasses? <laughs> that is the question. Big there's, glasses or not big glasses? There's so much, so much stuff on this desk. <laughs> these are big, those got, are big glasses. <laughs> I don't even know what it. All right. Here's number one. Big Deal or No Deal? Big Deal, No Deal. Women's volleyball getting swept in the national championship. Big Deal or No Deal? It's a, it's a big deal that they were in the national championship. They were unseated. Going in to that tournament, and uh, and Jennifer Hampson, just man. Alexa Gray, they were oh, phenomenal. It's, it was unbelievable. I, you know, my whole, you know, we were, my family was sitting there watching that national championship game, and and I think it's a big deal. I, the fact that they got swept, yeah, Penn State's done that to a lot of people over. Yeah, the years. I didn't have a problem uh, getting beat by Penn State because they're better. Yeah, I didn't have a problem and, with that. And and they they just have more depth of talent, and they they've been there so many times yeah. before. They're the elite program in, in women's volleyball. Sticking it to Texas, on the other hand, that, that was fun. That was a big deal. <laughs> that that the was fact nice. That they were there is a big deal. The final four, they reached the championship game with that team, and. Uh, and uh, Sean Olmstead has done a phenomenal job. It sets the tone for the men's volleyball teams yes. to uh, go after their own national championship game and 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 try to win that. And so, uh, and hey, does it does it establish it, it establishes Jennifer Hampson as maybe the premier female athlete to ever come through BYU because what her she's mom done in two was sports. phenomenal basketball player. Yeah, two sports. But she's done it in two sports. Yeah, amazing, yeah. amazing. What a what, and what a nice young lady. I'm saying big deal. That's a big, big deal. deal. All right, number two. Big deal, no deal. BYU football's record is zero and seven in the state of Florida. Well, it's it's it's. I don't know. They played some really good teams. I'm going to say no deal. It's not that big of a deal. It's 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 by it's a who they've played. I was part of one of those. Yeah, you were. We lost. How did we lose to Ohio State ten to seven? We. I think they scored their 10 points on, like, minus five yards of total offense. And I think they took an interception they, from Bosco. They, they, had, they had an interception. They ran right down, like, to the one and scored on the next play. And then another interception didn't get a yard and kicked it. And that's how they got their 10 points. I remember watching that. Ruined my whole holiday. 
Yeah, we that's a game we should have we should have it. Okay, hey, let's, they, Ohio State killed us in a Holiday Bowl, yeah, and we didn't did. even we shouldn't have even been on the field with them, but we should have beaten them. Should have beaten them. So I was part and of and you should have played. I, I was part of the O for seven, but I that's going to change. Yeah, you should have played. We'd have won that game if you'd have played. All right, number three. Big deal, no deal. More Miami Beach Bowl viewers than the seven combined basketball games on ESPN's network. Yeah, that was a tweet sent out. That was impressive. But you know what? It was the only game on a Monday leading into Monday Night Football on ESPN. That's what made that fight such a, a such a tough one because that fight went down about 6 o'clock Eastern time. Oh, perfect. Everybody's watching. It, I think it's a big deal. I think yeah. what it does is it just sends a statement. Everybody says that there's, ah, uh, there's too many bowls. Really? Well, there's a bowl and that it out, you know, Outdraws all the basketball games combined. We love basketball, and you and I do a lot of basketball. Yeah. But this this country's sport. It's not baseball is not the national sport. It's not NASCAR. Football is the national sport, and that proves it right there. That's a big deal. Yeah. All right. That was big deal or no deal, uh, like no one else can or will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when we come back, more on Tyler Haas, and uh, and we're kind of he's chasing that Jimmer mark, and you know by the end of the week. Uh, or maybe into early next week, he could be past his first major hurdle in catching Jimmer. That's coming up here on BYU Sports Nation, around the world on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Today's Rise and Shout is brought to you by Dexter and Dexter. Help when you need it most, DexterLaw.com. We're going to give a shout-out to Lexi Eaton. 29 points yesterday. In a double overtime victory for the women's basketball team at Utah State, 62-58. So they sweep the state. State champs. Congratulations to Jeff Judkins and the group. Five straight wins. They play at Gonzaga on Saturday. Uh, Lexi, it's fun to watch. When she's on, she is on. And and she's always the most athletic player on the floor. She was phenomenal in the Colorado State game that you and I called up at Energy Solutions Arena. And I'm telling you what, I like uh, Jeff and that team. I think they're going to go a long way this year. We're keeping an eye on Jimmer today. Uh, Jimmer, I should say, on Tyler Haas. Chasing Jimmer. Uh, 55 points now shy of Devin Durant for fourth. And then right after Durant, then Smith, Ainge will fall and ahead to Jimmer. What do you expect from Tyler today? I, I think he's going to play extremely well. He'll carry this team again, scoring. UMass doesn't have an answer for him. He, he's just going to go get his normal quiet 23 or 24 and get it done. That's what he does every single night out. The quietest guy that makes the most noise. He's awesome. Tyler Haas. You can see Tyler and the Cougars, 2 o'clock Eastern time, high noon mountain, right here live on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Blaine and I are going to hurry across the street. We'll have the call for you. And then we'll see you tonight for AFR. It's a full day of sports on BYU TV and BYU Radio.